0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Truth Be Told. I am joined by a very special guest today, Dr. Christopher Yuan, a teacher for 12 years at the Moody Bible Institute. But now he works full time in his ministry of speaking and preaching to different people on the topic of sexuality and same sex attraction as well. And it is a pleasure to be speaking with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having
1: me on, Micah.
0: Yeah, it just really means a lot. I've I've seen a lot of your presentations uh, a lot of your speeches given to different organizations, and it's just been um, such an incredible message that you share with people. But for those of our listeners that are not as familiar with your work, would you uh, just share a little bit about your life and your life story? Because I think that is really the foundation point of your ministry and kind of what we're going to be talking about today as well.
1: I I wasn't raised in a Christian home, and I wrestled with my sexuality from a young age. And, um, you know, so maybe showing a little bit of my age, I was, you know, born in 70. And so it was the 70s and 80s. And back then, sex was not talked about sexuality was not a talk, so not a talked about. Um, I was exposed to pornography at a really young age at, at nine years old. And I don't think that that was necessarily causative or, or, or cause, but it definitely was a catalyst. And that was the first time that I realized that I had these attractions to the same sex. Didn't tell anyone, it wasn't until my early 20s that I'm from Chicago and um, I was living in Louisville, Kentucky at that time, pursuing my doctorate in dentistry. I came out of the closet, told my parents and through that crisis, my mother came to faith and then my father came to faith. And it was there that I, uh, you know, was doing what all my other friends were doing. You know, when you don't have Christ, it's live it up, have fun. And I was going out to the clubs, going out to the bars, And I was doing that while I was being a dental student. Uh, I actually began experimenting with drugs, but like any student, I was broke. And if I was going to do drugs, (laughs) I needed to find a way to support my drug habit. I did that by selling drugs. And I sold to friends, classmates, even a professor. Three months before I was received my doctorate, the administration of the school expelled me. So I moved to the bright lights, big city of Atlanta. And there I quickly took over the drug scene in the gay community. I became a supplier to other dealers in over a dozen states. And this whole time my parents had no clue that I was doing drugs, but they knew my biggest need was to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So they tried to reach out to me, love of Christ. And of course I wanted nothing to do with it. (laughs) One time they actually even came to visit me one time in Atlanta and I kicked them out. Before my dad left, he gave me his Bible. And I'm like, I don't want your Bible. Left it on my kitchen counter anyway, walked out the door. And as soon as my dad dad left, I took my dad's Bible, threw it in the trash can. And, you know, the interesting thing is, uh, you know, we hear the narrative today, Micah, that Christian parents who believe in the word of God cannot love their gay children. You actually have to throw away the Bible, become, you know, quote, unquote, progressive Christian to love their gay children. I had the exact opposite experience. My parents weren't Christian. They gave them an ultimatum. It was after they became a Christian that they realized that they knew that they could do nothing other than to love me as God loved them while they were powerless, while they were still sinners, while they were even enemies. So um, I you know, threw the Bible in the trash and it was so obvious that I was just hopeless. But my mom and dad committed not to focus upon hopelessness but upon the promises of God. And along with over a hundred prayer warriors from their church, from their Bible study fellowship group, they began to cry out to God for me. My mom prayed a really bold prayer. God, do whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to you. She fasted every Monday for seven years and once fasted 39 days on my behalf. She prayed for a miracle and this miracle came with a bang on my door. Open up my door, on my doorstep, 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. Just received this large shipment of drugs, confiscated everything, all my money, my drugs. I was charged with the equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. (laughs) So I found myself in jail. I was facing 10 years to life. And um, I was walking around the cell block, passed by this garbage can. And I'm like, that's my life. Trash. About to pass it by. But there was something on top of the trash. Bent over. It was a Gideon's New Testament. <laughs> Took it back to my cell. And I, for the first time, I read through the entire Gospel of Mark. But I didn't I didn't know, you know, I, was, I wasn't thinking, man, this is like, this is it. This is the answer to my problems. I just thought I've got Tons of time on my hands, but better pass it somehow. But as we know, it was the word of God that began to penetrate through my heart and heart, revealing that I was a sinner, which at first wasn't a good news. And I thought, I'm like, this, this isn't good news. You know, how could things get worse? Well, it did. I was called to the nurse's office and she gave me the news that I was HIV positive. A few days after that, I was laying in my bed, just like I've just destroyed my life. Look up at the cold metal bunk above me. Somebody has scribbled something. If you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I mean, there could have been any verse on that bunk. And God used those very words written by a prophet thousands of years ago to a rebellious nation to tell me that if God could have a plan for Israel, in rebellion, in exile, he could have a plan for me. I didn't know where that plan was going to take me, but God gave me enough strength to get through that one day, the next, and the next. So my transformation was gradual. I didn't have like this instantaneous, like, man, you know, I'm a Christian and no more problems. God began convicting me of my idols, obviously drugs, right? I'm in prison for drugs, but within a few months, God delivered me from that addiction. And as time went, God kept bringing to mind these other idols and there was just this one thing that I felt like I just could not let go of my sexuality. Went to a prison chaplain and I shared with him a little bit because I wasn't open about my sexuality in prison because I'm like, I've, you know, I've seen on television and, and movies what they did to, you know, people who lived as, you know, gay men. So I'm like, I'm not going to tell anyone, but I shared with a chaplain because I, I, I was like reading in scripture and I'm like, what does the Bible say? And this is what's so interesting. The chaplain told me the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. And he gave me a book. And I'm like, great, I can have my cake and eat it too. I had that book (laughs) in one hand, the Bible in the other. And you know, from a purely human perspective, Micah, I had every reason in the world to accept what that book is claiming to justify the way I had been living. Who wants to change? I want my cake and eat it too. But it was God's. I know now it was God's indwelling Holy Spirit that convicted me that those assertions were a clear distortion of God and his word. I couldn't finish that book, give it back to the chaplain, and I turned to the Bible alone. I went through every verse. I wanted to find anything that might bless a monogamous same-sex relationship. I couldn't find any. So I'm like, I'm at this turning point, and a decision had to be made. Either abandon God in his word, live as a gay man, pursue a monogamous same-sex relationship. By allowing my attractions, and this is key, by allowing my sexual attractions to dictate not only who I was, but also how I lived, or abandon pursuing a monogamous same-sexual relation by free myself from my sexuality, by not allowing my desires to control who I am, and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. My decision was clear and obvious. I followed Jesus. The days and the weeks and the months of abstinence passed, and I just realized my sexuality should not be the core of who I am. I told myself before, God loves me unconditionally. That's true, right? But don't we as sinners like to add God's truth? I add it, so therefore he doesn't want me to change. But I realized that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. My identity should not be defined by my sexuality. My identity shouldn't be grounded in my desires. My identity is not gay. It's not ex-gay. It's not even heterosexual for that matter. Because my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. God says, be holy, for I'm holy, because I thought that if I were to become a Christian, that I had become heterosexual. What does that mean? I need to be sexually attracted to women. <laughs> and I even thought that the more sexually attracted I were, lots and lots of women, the more of a Christian man I would be. <laughs> but I realized that even if I had opposite sex attractions, I would still need to flee temptation and resist sin. So actually, heterosexuality, it's the right direction, but it's not the right goal. So I realized that the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality, but the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. As a matter of fact, the opposite of every sin is holiness. I don't need to focus upon whether I'm struggling, whether I'm tempted, but I need to focus upon living a life of holiness and living a life of purity. Change is not the absence of temptations, but change is the spirit wrought ability to be holy, even in the midst of temptations. So as God began to kind of renew me and, and and to point out, you know, my call to holiness in Christ. He called me to full-time vocational ministry. Um, I actually applied to Moody Bible Institute while I was a prison, of all places. Um, I was accepted, um, released from prison July of 2001, started the very next month. So I always joke, you know, uh, imagine the surprise of my classmates when I answer their question, what did you do this summer? <laughs> Graduated from, Mo- from Moody 2005, went on my master's in exegesis 2007, received my doctorate in ministry 2014, and then I had the cool privilege of co-authoring a book with my mother out of a far country, Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope, which is actually being used as a textbook by many Christian high schools, and then um, my newest book, Holy Sexuality in the Gospel, Sex, Desire, Relationships, Shaped by God's Grand Skirt Story. Actually, it was named 2020 Book of the Year for Social Issues by Outreach Magazine, and God you know, has just done far more abundantly beyond all that we have asked or thought. He called me, he's got a really sense of humor, God does, because he brought me back to Moody where for 12 years I taught in the Bible department. So I went from prisoner to professor.
0: How about that for a resume? That's incredible. I mean, absolutely amazing. And I really think the point that you made about uh, not finding your identity and your sexuality, that that is directly against the narrative that you hear time and time again in this yep. modern world. But having an identity in Christ, rather, I, I think that begins to make this level playing field for all Christians that we can suddenly operate under, where I, I think um, a lot of people with same-sex attraction feel like they are they are the other, right? And a lot yes. of people that don't experience that agree with them. Yeah, that, that's the other. But really, when you realize, no, all of our identities are in Christ, we all sin, we all fall short, you... You really talk a lot about this in your book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, and I think you, you do such a good job at starting off with a framework of equality. We are all just human beings struggling to reconcile with God and be justified in his sight. And you do this through the term holy sexuality. Can you talk a little bit about what that means in the context of the book? Because I think it's such a a unifying point that we can all get behind and and realize that this is not an us and them or a we and they. This, This is all of us as Christians struggling to attain God's ideals, not what we think is right. That's right and when it comes to sexuality oftentimes we kind of have well for these type of
1: people this is what they need to do for these type of people you need this is what you need to do but when we do that that's actually not not biblical we're trying to add our human answers to these really spirit these spiritual problems but when we step back and and begin like with you know as in my book I say human sexuality you know for us to understand human sexuality we need to begin with theological anthropology we're created in God's image but we also have this sin nature. And so when we understand that, we realize, you know what, we're all broken. We all need Christ. We all have sin. We all are sinners uh, by nature. And what we need is Christ. So holy sexuality, you're exactly right. It's this is true equality, not, not world equality, but equality in the sense that we all equally are broken and we all equally need God. And holy sexuality is talking about that, where it's a loving, level playing field. So holy sexuality actually came out of my frustration as I was looking at what I saw as the only paradigm that we had, the only framework that we had to think about sexuality, which was heterosexuality, bisexuality, homosexuality, that framework. But Having known a little bit about history and Freud and Foucault and Kinsey and and all these secular, purely secular humanists and scientists, that is not a biblical framework because never did God intend for humanity to be categorized according to our sexual desires or any desire for that matter. So instead of thinking of a secular framework, it's it, we're trying to take the secular framework and pound it into a christian framework it's like taking a square peg and trying to put, put it into round hole so this is where holy sexuality this concept came out because i was like it doesn't cuz obviously homosexuality is not you know god's will but heterosexuality like i said it's it's a correct direction but there's also a lot of sinful behaviors that are included in the broader category of heterosexuality. Of course, marriage between a man, one, a man and a woman, that is blessed by God. But heterosexual marriage is not equivalent to heterosexuality. Neither is heterosexuality equivalent to marriage. Marriage between a man, one, a man and a woman is one form of heterosexual relationship, but not representative of all. So it was out of that frustration, and I just began reading God's word, right? I mean, I had a lot of time on my hands, so <laughs> I was reading the word of God. And just from Genesis all the way to Revelation, there's only two paths that God lays out that are blessed. Uh, how we are called to live as human beings in regards to relationships, sex, sexuality, et cetera. First path, when we are single, we're gonna be sexually absent. Second path, when we are married, and I'm just only using biblical definition for marriage, a man and a woman, When you're married, you're going to be faithful to the opposite sex. So quite simply, holy sexuality, two paths, chastity in singleness or faithfulness in marriage. And I realized there was no term for that. And so I coined this new term. And I know the term might sound new to a lot of people, but the concept certainly is not a new concept. It's just a biblical concept. It's always been there. And I just Thought you know, let's why don't we just give a name to it? And and I specifically use holy sexuality almost as a juxtaposition toward the secular framework of heterosexuality, homosexuality, bisexuality, saying this is not we're, we're using a biblical framework, not a secular one. Holy sexuality, chastity, and singleness, faithfulness, and marriage.
0: That, yeah, and it's such a good point because the world will use all of these other terms, but um, you know, if someone asks me, Well, well what are you? It's like, Well, first of all. I am a Christian, you know, I find my identity in Christ, but also... Uh, what's your sexuality? Well, I practice holy sexuality. That That is such a, a good answer to give to somebody Yeah. and also sparks a lot of questions. You know, I, I think in someone who's just hearing this for the first time, uh, whether yeah. they're Christians or not, you start off by bringing us all on the same footing and saying, we are all sinners. We are yes. all desirous of following Christ. But then with holy sexuality in this term, you present a goal for all of us to attain to. And then yeah. the path in between that is obviously different for everybody in the sense that I have to work out you know, the things that I struggle with and you have to work out the things you struggle with. So the path that we get to that might be a little bit different, but the goal and the starting place is absolutely the same for everybody. And that, that is just, I think so valuable in this conversation because it's such an isolating conversation. I think, even though Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people want to make you think, well, now you've joined this group, you're, you're an openly gay man. You've joined this group and we're here to support you. And it's like, there's a much better group, and it's yes. it's Christians. But Amen. Um, I just as an aside, I heard someone posted this thing recently that said um, the word for homosexuality was invented so much later. It's never something condemned in the Bible. Just like the book that you were handed by the chaplain in prison. That's right. And it's like if you start to look into this, it's like oh wow, this was an invented word, but the concept still goes back a lot farther and. We can get wrapped up in these things because there there are good arguments. you know there people can use logic on any side of any debate That's and right. sound rational and trip you up. But I think what you do in your book is just bring a lot of clarity, um, a lot of simplicity in such a good and wholesome way that I That's think right. everybody can benefit from and, I, and even
1: on that, Micah, with that word homosexual, um, the people that make those arguments um, false teaching almost um, always. Has nuggets of truth in it. They make a true statement that the word homosexual was inserted or added to the Bible in the mid 1800s. And of course, when they say that, we're talking about the English Bible. Right. Um, And it is also true that in the Greek and in uh, the Hebrew Old Testament uh, and the Greek New Testament and the Hebrew Old Testament, uh, there was no word for homosexual or homosexuality. True statements. But then, their logic doesn't follow, right? Because what they are missing is this. When you look in ancient Hebrew, there was no word for sex. They <laughs> instead, they used to know, to lay, right. uh, to see someone's nakedness. so so to say that there was no word, that's a true statement. But then what they then don't realize is that then there was no concept. I mean, so did the ancient Hebrews not, because they didn't have the word for sex, didn't know the concept of sex? Of course not. In the same way, there might not have been a specific word, but they knew the concept. How do we know that? Leviticus, 1822, 2013, do not lie, right? There's no word for sex. Do Mm -hmm. not lie, have sex. With a male, and, and and it is very specific. They they didn't use a word for man, mm-hmm. like as if it's an adult, or or they didn't use the word boy because sometimes they try to say it's pedophilia. No, it's sure. male. Anyone that's that's of the male sex, uh, you know, a, a man,
0: um, male should not not lie with anyone of the same sex. It's incredible the specificity that God works with. You know, even all these years later, it's like, no, no, we can look back at that. And he was very specific on the words he chose. He had us in mind. Yeah. So with holy sexuality then as our our framework, our basis of uh, chastity and singleness, faithfulness in marriage. I want to talk a little bit about singleness, because this is something, as I read your book, I expected, okay, I'm hoping I can, at the end of this, relate more to my friends who might struggle with same-sex attraction, or don't know how to justify their temptations with their faith. And I ended up, 90% of the book was written to me, you know? It, it was <laughs> it was something I was learning from actively for my own life and for my own self, and I just found that incredible. But singleness, you you talk so much about this in your book, and it's almost foreign to so many people, the theological side of singleness. And, you know, so many experience it, but we don't know the biblical uh, understanding or the, or the biblical accuracy of uh, what it means to be single or, or is being single okay? Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: You know, when it comes to singleness, we have, we've really misunderstood. And again, just as we've um been affected and impacted by the world and our understanding of sexuality, we've actually also been impacted in our way of, of misunderstanding singleness. And that's so key for us to better minister to our gay friend or actually any person. You know, Micah, um, here in America, there are more single adults. We're not talking about kids or youth. Single adults in America than there are married adults. Wow. Wow. And then we look at our churches. And we're not even, we're not even close to probably a quarter of our adults that are married. And and I and I get that because a lot of the single adults now they're cohabitating and yeah. they're you know and they're kind of serial dating, et cetera. Of course, we should not be doing that. Sure. But the point is that's a huge demographic that our churches are not even interested in, in reaching out to her minister. It's, it's almost like an unreached people group, the singles mm-hmm. in America or the singles in the West. Um, so we, we, the world though, views singleness, not only singleness, but not being in a relationship as a really bad thing. It's actually been codified by the Supreme Court in our law, uh, in US law, uh, 2015. It, that's a year that we should all know, 2015, where the Burgerfeld decision that changed history forever here in the United States. Nine justices, I'm sorry, five justices, changed the course of history. Struck down uh, many, many state laws, legalized same-sex marriage. J- justice Kennedy, who I think fortunately is is retired, he wrote the majority opinion, and this is what he wrote. He said to, uh, and I'm and I'm paraphrasing, to not allow a, a person to get married is to relegate them to a life of loneliness. So not being married is equivalent to loneliness. That's not true, I'm single. And, and do I deal with loneliness? Of course I do. Right. But I know some people who are married and they're still miserably lonely. So it's not marriage that should ever be viewed as the cure to loneliness. We know the cure to loneliness. It begins with a relationship with God, not another person. So whether you're married or single, we need to find our true intentment, uh, contentment in Christ. So understanding that, and actually, um, I, I, I talk, and I, and I actually bury a lot, um, uh, borrow a lot from this gentleman, Dr. Barry Danilek, who wrote about a biblical theology of singleness. He's he's around my age, maybe a little bit older. Um, he's a single man, and he... Uh, helped us to see doing biblical theology from Old Testament to New Testament to show how uh, Scripture has broadened our, there's this progressive revelation of our understanding of singleness and also of family. In the Old Testament, huge emphasis on families and clans mm-hmm. and bloodlines and kinsmen and, and children, et cetera, passing down your inheritance and your name. New Testament, there is an emphasis on family, but not like it was in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Instead, it began talking about not blood families, but the spiritual family, which is the family of God, the body of Christ. So whereas the the people of the old covenant, they grew by procreation, the people of the new covenant grow by regeneration, new life. So what does this mean for singleness? Almost everything, because though I'm single and I don't have any children, I don't have a spouse. I don't have a physical family. From our understanding of singleness, in light of God's grand story, creation, fall, redemption, consummation, I know that I might not have children of my own, but I have something that's greater than sons and daughters that Isaiah talks about. Mm -hmm. And that is, I have the family of God. I have Christ and I have the body of Christ. So I might not have physical children, but I do have. Spiritual children. As a matter of fact, I think that that be fruitful and multiply is actually echoed in the New Testament, in Matthew twenty-eight, hmm. make disciples of all nations. I, that's how we are fruitful, and and we misunderstand that Genesis one uh, one twenty-eight, be fruitful and multiply, strictly means from a very literal sense, a very surface sense. Get married and have babies, because if that really and that's actually how Jews view that verse. If you were to ask any good Jewish young young boy or girl, what's the first commandment of the Torah? They would know right away. Genesis one twenty eight: Be fruitful and multiply. If that really was a command, which by the way we 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 are ignoring what it says before that, where it says God blessed them and said. So in other words, that actually yes, it's a it's a mandate, but it's in the context of God's blessing. If that truly was a, a command in a sense of have uh, get married and have children, Jesus disobeyed God. So we see that it is be fruitful and hmm. multiply, but not simply just have physical children, but it's make disciples, have spiritual children. And that's what I'm called to do. And that also means because I am... Um, you know, I, I have been born again, and we're family, that means we also have one father, we're right. a heavenly father, and I'm adopted into this family. And so true intimacy is really met in the body of Christ. I need my brothers and sisters in Christ, not just simply these interpersonal relationships, because that's sometimes talked about a lot, man, what, what we need to do is talk more about friendship. Yes, talk about more about relationship, but I think better than, than friendship, which is fantastic, is we need to talk about friendships. And more importantly, I think family, because sometimes friendships can focus inwardly just upon kind of two or three people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes at the exclusion of the community, we need community. God provides us community, which is the body of Christ, which provides us under shepherds, which provides us accountability, not just peers, right? Mm-hmm. That's one thing for, for us to have peer accountability, very important. But sometimes peer accountability can be, oh man, I just gave in. Oh, I just gave in too. Okay, let's pray. You know? <laughs> Whereas if I have a mentor, um, and I'm like, I need to confess. This mentor has the authority, the God-given authority, spiritual authority to kind of speak into my life. I, you know, I, and I don't know, Micah. I'm just going to speak for myself. I sometimes need a spiritual kick in the butt. You know, <laughs> and I, I need that challenge that sometimes appear might feel a little awkward to do that, but when we're in the body of Christ and we have people who have gone before us and have life experience, walking in faithfulness to God, and and God has placed them over us as our elders or our pastors, they're called by God to do that, to give a word of encouragement, to give a word of exhortation, to give a word of challenge. And when we're just kind of just friends without the body of Christ, then we're missing on that. So being single, uh, and I'm so encouraged to see that I did write this book. Actually, you know, to kind of challenge everyone. I, I actually even have um, the other day a mother that came to me, and be like, "Man, I picked up your book for my for my son who's walked away from God. He's identifying as gay," and she was like, "I didn't know that I was going to be learning about my own marriage with my own husband." And I'm like, "Praise the Lord! That's that's what." The truth of God does. It it challenges us. It, it it it's a mirror to my own soul and to my own need for Christ. And so that was my hope. Uh just pointing people back to the Word of God um, through just this beautiful concept of, of biblical sexuality.
0: And I think you absolutely excelled at it. And you answered so many objections too that someone might have before they even got to them. I think you were really reader focused, you know, thinking, <laughs> what might they question here? And immediately as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, well, yeah, but you know it, it says that when god spoke to adam it says it's not good that you are alone and it's like oh but then you go into loneliness yeah. and it's like no no you're not alone and you you cover everything particularly i I really loved when you uh, spoke to what Christ says on the matter because a lot of times we'll say, well, you know, Paul talks a lot about marriage and singleness, but Christ doesn't really get into it as much. And I, I found that so compelling. Obviously, the whole entire Bible is um, – mm-hmm. it has the authority of God within it. And all the men that wrote it are, you know, full of authority in my life. But when Christ says something particularly, I'm just like – Wow, I didn't even know he covered this. Or, you know, (laughs) there's the verse that says he was tempted in all ways as we are and can relate to us. But sometimes I think, can he though? He's not in this modern world with modern pressures. (laughs) But when it comes to things like singleness or or holy sexuality, he absolutely lived that and spoke on it. Can you can you talk talk about that a little bit? And I
1: love that. And and I'm glad you brought that because that's one of those passages where, where it talks about, you know, that Jesus was tempted in every way. And we're like, oh, great. But, you know, our mind is then like, yeah, but he's God. I mean, so he can't sin. Right. Um, how can he really sympathize? I mean, that's the exact words that the writer of Hebrew writes, that, that he can sympathize. Well, mm-hmm. but how can he sympathize if, if he's impeccable, right? We have the doctrine of impeccability. If he cannot sin... Then how can he really? I mean, I can sin, so I mean, I'm right. I'm tempted, and I and I can sin. But Jesus, he's like this, you know. We like this robot; he can't sin, but he's being tempted. Of course, he's just going to bounce off of him. Well, the reality is, it says that he was tempted. I mean, you know, even with um, for forty days in the wilderness. So I mean, it wasn't just like Jesus was just like, oh, whatever, oh, Satan, haha. You know, it just and just cut. It, it was really, it was tough. You know, right. I mean, at the Garden of Gethsemane, he was he was, you know, you know, crying and and sweating and it was blood. So it was, he was really, really struggling and and fighting. And what was so amazing is that uh, what we see is he struggled and fought and won. And he struggled to completion. Whereas we, we give in at like We'll be tempted and then we fall. So we, we don't actually struggle all the way to fulfillment and saying, no, he, Jesus himself, completely and perfectly fought against sin was victorious. We fight and then we give in. We fight and give in. So that was, when, when I read that, and it was, you know, just a commentary, I was like, that's amazing. That's exactly the case. Jesus does know because he he struggled perfectly, where I struggle in imperfection. Um, And that's a daily encouragement for me.
0: Yeah, sometimes I think we have this mentality that the temptation that Jesus went through was external. People were tempting him but he wasn't tempted but that's not what it says it says he was tempted that was an yeah. internal thing that he was in working through in every for. way he was right. tempted right yes. and yeah. that's that's just incredible as yes. far as temptation goes i think uh something that really struck me and probably will strike a lot of our listeners as well you mentioned in one of your uh, talks that you gave a while back that in prison something you learned was that abstinence was absolutely possible and i was like <laughs> man like but that is such a difficult call and that's you know that's such a a thing that people would want to strive for but don't you know don't know how so n- not to yeah. be crass but what what makes that possible how do we how do we possibly fulfill this or live up to this or struggle more perfectly although we can never attain how Christ uh was tempted through to completion is that how you said it yeah to completion and and perfectly exactly yeah so we could we could never do that exactly perfectly but how could we how can we strive for that? For people that are single and wanting to live up to this holy sexuality, how can we do that?
1: The enemy wants to isolate us and make us feel that we are different from everyone else, and no one could ever understand us, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably one of the most common things that I hear from individuals like myself, Christians who experience this attraction. No one can ever understand me. You know, I, I'm at this church, and you know, I can't find anyone that can that can do this that's the enemy speaking and breathing these um, these doubts into our ears. The thing is that, yeah, I mean, not everyone can know exactly what I'm going through, the exact experience that I'm going through, but I don't think that that's the intent, that someone needs to know exactly what I'm experiencing. When it comes down to Uh, you know, what's really going on is that we are being being tempted to sin. From that perspective, we all know that. Everyone is daily being tempted uh, to sin, whether it is from the enemy, whether it is from their own sin nature, we're tempted to sin, and we need to resist. The problem is, many times, we don't we have these sins that are respectable sins right you know it's <laughs> i mean everyone looking at this does pretty that. girl what's what's so wrong with i mean she's hot so you know i mean just i'm just having you know a few thoughts about her that's that's mm-hmm. not so bad um everyone looks at pornography right so i mean and, and i'm not hurting anyone right i mean we justify things mm-hmm. so i think sometimes where we have this huge stigma about as attractions we have almost completely completely destigmatize other sins you know it's not too bad i mean i'm just it's a white lie you know i mean you know it's it just being jealous or gossiping i mean that's just you know everyone does that so we have completely destigmatized many sins but in the church oftentimes we have just treated this like man this is just so uh so weird so gross whatever it is you know mm-hmm. the, uh, adjective we might use and that that this has to be so we have i have people that come to me and they're like they they are so distraught and and what i want them to realize is and it's in a way to give them hope not at all to justify because i i do believe that all of our sins we should be all disgusted about right. all of our sins we should be all de- you know detest and grossed out by whatever sin it is right. everything pornography we do yeah. or or gossiping and, um, so it should repulse us, but it doesn't. And, um, because when we think about that, then it lays that playing field mm-hmm. where we're all the same. So that then this individual who might have synced his attractions is actually not that different from this young man who's struggling looking at pornography or, you know, images on the screen or whatever of the opposite sex that mm-hmm. he should not be doing, um, And or or even in his mind, and struggling with that. We all need to say no to our flesh. Mm -hmm. Because that then uh, gives us hope to say, I'm not alone. And to realize that we're not alone, um, I think is less, takes away that isolation and, and puts us all back into where we're ought to be as finding our own solidarity in the fact that we're humans. We're, um, we're all broken and and we need Christ. I mean, I'm coming back to that same thing. It's very simple truth, but yeah. I, I think it's, it's something that really I rely on. Um, and that helps me to say no to, to what Satan is kind of whispering mm-hmm. in my ear to try to turn me and think, man, no one can ever understand. Me.
0: So, so to sum up what you said there, just to make sure I'm on the same page, you would say that, um, keys towards uh, practicing a life of chastity in singleness, or you know whether that means you experience same-sex attraction, or if you don't, some people end up single. And so you would say one of the keys to that would be uh, realizing that when you hear the words "you can't" or you feel as if you can't, yep. it's it's from Satan. That's not you know obviously we cannot do everything perfectly, but yeah. to to just give up and not strive for it anyways is absolutely wrong. So then the second part would be to um, realize that all of our sin that we're going through is something we need to abstain from not just right. not just our sexual sin but every sin that anybody uh, you know goes into or finds themselves tempted by. And then the third point leads from that and that creates a sort of unity in your environment where you're realizing, Okay, it's not just me needing to abstain from this sin and feeling like a mountain I'm facing all by myself. this is everybody facing this. That's right. and that yep. that unity helps you overcome in a way,
1: yeah. and, and if I can also add, you know, because oftentimes, you know when we're living as you know chaste single women or men, um i I kind of. I used the framework that Jesus used when he was asked, What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. That's a, a a vertical and a horizontal commandment. And I think in the same way when it comes to sanctification, we uh, can have that vertical component and component and that horizontal component, vertical in that, you know it's it's what we you know already know that we have to that we struggle with daily, mm-hmm. and it's that that daily renewal of the mind and of the heart. Um, that I I don't really like the term spiritual disciplines because that that seems like a work. I mean, we, we talk about well, we don't believe in works righteousness when it comes to salvation, but sometimes when it comes to sanctification, we're all about works righteousness, you got to do this, got to do that, gotta do this, gotta do that. But it's uh these spiritual disciplines. I I I I think about them as habits of grace. It's it's putting ourselves in the path of. Uh, of God's grace to receive His blessing, not that I do this, I do this, I do this, and then God will bless me, but I'm putting this so I'm in the right framework. I'm in the I'm in the road in the path of of God being able to empower me and strengthen me. So it's it's all these things that that we all know that can help you know re- renewing our minds, and that's kind of the expected answer. Mm-hmm. But the other is the horizontal right, and that is not isolating. I mean, it's tied to those three points that I made and mm-hmm. and making sure that we're in the body of Christ. so i I really believe that though not everyone has to be like, I mean there's very few people that need to be like me where I'm completely open with my story
0: mm-hmm.
1: in church, in public, sure. you know on you know uh, media and internet, et cetera. I, I think very few people are called to that, but everyone is called to be transparent with a handful of trusted Christian brothers and sisters and mentors and a Mm -hmm. pastor, a church leader, because we need that accountability. I need to be able to lean on uh, my best friend uh, when I'm weak or when he's weak, we lean on each other. I need to have that accountability from the church, Mm -hmm. pastors, elders to confess with them. And they pray for me um, because when we are not open about that, people that can't then walk with us. And so that's really key because actually the horizontal isn't, and we need to be careful that we're not like making that almost our God because then those relationships can be, I lean on them so much that I'm dependent on that. Mm-hmm. When in actuality, these horizontal relationships in the body of Christ are actually also tied into the vertical because it's those relationships that. Help me to love God more, uh, and to help me to um, to listen to my the Lord God, and to help me to become more conformed to the likeness of Christ.
0: Yeah, that, that's a really good point. I, I always bring that the two greatest commandments. I bring to uh, the scriptures that say, "Where two or three are gathered in My name, mm. there I am also." And then also when Christ says, uh, "I was hungry and you fed me; I was thirsty and mm. you gave me drink," and it's like these horizontal. This horizontal command and this vertical are so intricately linked yeah, in the they, sense that when, right, when you have a relationship with God's people, you you have a relationship with God and, Amen. and vice versa. So then a lot of people might think, we've talked a lot about singleness so far, a lot of people might think that... You are saying, if okay, if you are practicing homosexual, or you are um, not practicing, but you still experience same-sex attraction, you are just doomed to singleness. Now, <laughs> I, I think we've we've covered the fact that it's not a doom at all. It's that's right. You know, there there is a a right way to be single, and that is that can be part of your holy sexuality. Mm-hmm. But for some people, they think I I want to get married someday. I want a family. I think that's something that I I am called to. That God has put in my heart to want. What would you say to these people that think they're being condemned to a life of singleness now when they really just are hoping someday to get married and lead that life? Sir, great question. You
1: know, um, if you remember, you know, toward the beginning, after my testimony, when you asked about holy sexuality, I, I use these two words, I, I said, there are two paths. Mm-hmm. I didn't say two choices. And I was very, um, uh, very specific about that in, in choosing my words because there's this misunderstanding that marriage is a choice and singleness is a choice mm-hmm. well Singleness is not a choice um, because I've never met anyone who was born married, right? (laughs) We're we're all born single. We all start out single. Jesus in Matthew chapter 22 even talks about that in eternity, we're all going to be individually single and unmarried. There's no marriage in heaven, but Mm. this is the beautiful thing. There's no earthly, I mean, what we know on earth is marriage, but there is going to be one marriage in heaven, and that is Christ being wed to the church. What Paul talks about in Ephesians 5, this mystery. Uh, so we, uh, you know, we, we see this, uh, this, this beauty there of, uh, you know, what we, what we see in scripture. Um, and, uh, you know, so the, the, uh, when we talk about, you know, the the marriage and and singleness, there are two paths, uh, and even marriage, I'm going to argue that we, it's, it's, Better to think about marriage not as a choice. You know, having taught at Moody for 12 years, these young men and young women that, you know, at Moody Bridal Institute, there's this huge push to get married. And it's a lot of pressure, undue pressure when we think about marriage as a choice. Am I choosing the right woman? Am I choosing the right man? I don't know. I think it's better to think about marriage not as a choice, but as whether it is a will of God. And when we think about whether it's the will of God, I think that then puts it in a different category that it's it's not about even what I think, and, and, and actually even better, not even so much about what I feel or my desires, because that can really confuse things. The will of God, oftentimes we discern God's will, how by seeking out godly counsel and asking other people in our lives, our parents, our brothers and sisters, our pastors, Is this will of God or not? When we think about that way, honestly, I think that actually elevates this to where it ought to be as a truly sanctified, holy institution. When we think about it as just a choice, that can almost trivialize it. This is a very special, unique, serious, holy institution that sometimes by just, it's a choice That then almost makes it more as a human decision as opposed to the will of God. So, with that being said, um, am I open to marriage? You know, like 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 you said at the very beginning, Micah. I'm going to practice holy sexuality, which is what two paths. When I am single, I'm going to be chaste and Mm abstinent. But that also means there's two paths. Right. When I'm married, I'm gonna be faithful to my, to, to some, to my spouse of the opposite sex, mm-hmm. which means I'm holding it out like, like two hands. I, I, right now, I'm cur- currently single. Um, by God's sovereignty, he, ha- he has me as a single man. But with that being said, I'm open to getting married. That doesn't mean, though, that I'm kind of pursuing that or, or you know, desperate as right. sometimes singles can be. I have to get married. I'm, I can't be happy if I'm, if, you know, as a single man or a single woman. And and so we're always seeking for that partner wherever we go, you know, to that mm-hmm. singles group or at church, a new person, fresh meat. And, you know, we pounce on that. That's not the way we're, we're called to live. Right. I, and, and I'm going to give this quote from from a missionary that I think she was a, a single missionary. Um And she was kind of tired of people sort of asking her, do you want to get married? Because the obvious answer was, well, yes, but God hasn't provided that. And this was her answer. She said, I want my life to be so hid in Christ that for a man to find me, he must find Christ first. And that's kind of become... Like the one of the mottos of my life when it comes to relationships. Mm-hmm. Am I open to marriage? Yes. Do I need to become quote unquote heterosexual to be attracted to many, many women? No, I need to follow, see whether this is the will of God because if it is, he is certainly gonna give me the passions and desires and love for my future spouse, my fiance, whatever it is. And so this is the motto that I live when it comes to relationships. I want my life to be so hid. In Christ, that for a lady to find me, she must find Christ first. When we see the centrality of Christ over all our relationships, over my desires, whether they want to get married or not, that's a good desire, but Christ rules over that. He rules over my, even my sin, my temptations, my future, that is when we can just give it to Christ. And I know that sounds really trite, but that's really freeing and um, gives me actually hope and joy that yes, it's not easy saying no to the flesh, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, Jesus says, cut off your right hand. That's not gonna feel good to do that, but we're called to do that radical ambition, to live this radical life. Follow me. Anyone who, you know, if anyone will come after me, how do we live? We deny ourselves, pick up a cross and follow me. And we do that in joy because we know that God is sovereign, that when I just focus, upon Christ and Him crucified, and I focus more upon being conformed into Him, He's going to take care of everything else.
0: Yeah, it is such a relieving fact, honestly, when we're not so worried about what we shall wear, what we shall eat, who we shall marry. I think we could That's add right. that one on the end of that list as yeah. well. And, and also, I think it does give people hope, though, that you know it, it is something people want. I, I would say that even though it is a certain path and God dictates Um, you know, what he blesses and what he doesn't. And I want my life to be following his will as much as Mm -hmm. absolutely humanly possible. But I think there is something very hopeful for people that feel like, I I still would like that someday if God wills it. And for you to say, yeah, it it can happen. That's possible Mm -hmm. because with God, anything is possible. Absolutely anything is possible. I think that that does give people just a little bit of, a breath of fresh air to say, okay, like if this is something that God wills for me, it can happen. And and we sometimes limit him in that way when we start to think, ah, oh, well, maybe it's not possible for me or not possible for God to do this for me because of this thing I'm struggling with. It's like, absolutely not. God can work right. all things for you if Amen. it's his will. So I, I think uh, I'd like to wrap up with one question um, that might have a few different parts to it, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, so so practically speaking, I think a lot of people that might experience same-sex attraction and be struggling with this in their lives might feel that, you know, how am I supposed to if I am to, let's say, date somebody, or even explore uh, what marriage might look like, if that's God's will for my life, or even just to my friends, how, when am I supposed to tell people? How do I talk to people? And then for those that don't experience that, but have friends or or loved ones that are experiencing this, how do we accept that information? How do we better minister to them? You know what? What can we do to make this? I think you've set a good groundwork with leveling the playing field to start out, and then giving us this goal of holy sexuality where we're all reaching for the same thing, but this path in the middle where we all have to bear with one another and help each other yeah. out, how do we most effectively cultivate these relationships and and grow together?
1: You know, I think if there's um, an individual, a Christian who has sanctity attractions, I want to encourage them. First of all, you're not alone. Uh, but to reach out to others who are trusted brothers, you know, or sister or church, church leader, pastor and confide with them. Um, and and also be prepared that some you're not always going to get a positive response because I've heard this before. Well, I shared it with someone and then, you know, and they kind of um, and it's not even necessarily that they gave a negative response, but just it was thanks for telling me let me pray. And then they yeah. kind of never followed up after that. Maybe ill-equipped. Um, Yeah, ill-equipped. Extending grace there, but then don't give up. Just seek another person. But I think it's important for when you open up to someone uh, that you don't just tell them about the reality of your struggle, the reality of your experience. Be certain to talk about um, what you're planning to do. Mm -hmm. Because if you just say, I have these same-sex attractions. Like someone who might not be well-equipped, just might might think, "Oh my goodness, does this mean that they're going to be going out and and you know looking for a boyfriend or you know right. looking for a same-sex relationship or or whatever it is?" I don't, you know, I don't, they don't know what that means. And so to say this is a reality, but also this is how I'm committed to to live. I'm committed to Christ. I know this is sinful, um, and. Um, you know, it's going to be tough, but I'm committed to follow Jesus. I'm committed not to give in these relationships. And I, and I would love your prayers. You know, that can be one thing, the, the practical thing I would love for you to, if you could ask me once a week, like you can even make it really, uh, you know, just very tangible and very quantifiable once a week. Can you give me a call or give me a test and ask me this honest question. Um, so th- those type of things can, can lay it out. The reality of, Of our sinfulness, our struggle, uh, but also how we're purposed to live. Now, how does a Christian respond? I think the best thing, uh, because a lot of times for a Christian who has same-sex attractions to open up to another believer, uh, they are scared to death like, they don't know how someone's going to respond. They're expecting the worst, they're expecting maybe to, to be rejected. And this is even just having, you know, saying, I have sickness attraction, I've never, you know, given up on right. it. And then that's just totally changed the relationship, like, the pe- people are freaked out, they don't even know, like, can I even be with you, like, in the same room again, I don't right. know what to do. Can I, you know, <laughs> can I have lunch with you, you know, people just, yeah. they just don't know. I mean, maybe that's kind of more the extreme. Sure. Um,
0: You know, and so it's. But it's it's worth it's worth talking about though, because this is something that can become taboo, where we don't feel we're on a level playing field, and and really we are. But yeah, yeah, I think the extreme is definitely worth bringing up.
1: Yes, Um, and, and also, so I would say the first thing is to thank them. Thank you for telling me. Thank you for opening up. This must have been really hard for you to do that. And then ask an open ended question like, "Tell me more." Um, I, you know, I, I think that, um you know, just be a good listener, tell me more, like just uh, that can be uh, your willingness to listen can mean a lot to that other person. I think maybe toward the end of that conversation to ask this really important thing, which is how does your faith fit into this? Because mm-hmm. we want to hear them say, my faith in Christ is strong. In other words, they're shaping their understanding of their desires and their temptations around God's truth. But what happens, unfortunately? What happens is people are shaping God's truth to fit their experiences. Unfortunately, that's what happens. But what we want to hear is, my faith in Christ is my rock. Um, also, to uh, you know, tell them that they're not alone, and and this kind of gets to the whole feeling ill-equipped. Because and and I, and I get this a lot of times, especially men uh, who they have a good friend that confides with them. They have same-sex attractions, and and um, you know, they tell me, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say, you know. And they're like, I don't have same-sex attractions myself, so mm-hmm. I feel ill-equipped, and that that makes a lot of sense. But then when we pull back and think about the you know brokenness of humanity perspective what other sins do we have to be an expert in or to actually experience to then be able to help another person in that struggle for, I mean, if I'll just, do we have to be able to, you know, do we have to shoot up with heroin to help a heroin addict? Right. No. Do we have to look at pornography to help someone who's struggling with pornography? Do we mm-hmm. help have to commit adultery to help an adulteress? Obviously not. Right. But for this particular sin, we have this misperception that, Well, people who have same-sex attractions, only they know how to minister to others. But this is the truth. If you know Christ, and if you've ever had any victory over any sin struggle, you can help another sinner. Mm -hmm. Because when people come to us in their time of need, what they don't need most actually is an expert. What they do need most is a friend. And we can be that friend. And simply telling someone... I don't know all there is to know about this. So just be honest. Mm -hmm. But I know one thing. I'm committed to walk with you to Jesus. Those words can be life for someone.
0: I really appreciate that point. That was very beneficial just even to me personally. And I think bringing it back to Christ, as you've done this entire time, setting that empirical, concrete standard of... Because how else do you do it? You know, if you'd say, (laughs) well, you know, I've... Uh, done marijuana time and time again, but I've never done heroin, so I can't really yeah. talk with that person. You know, how far <laughs> yeah. along the gradient do you say, I can't help this, but I can help this? Right. If you say, Christ had no sin, and he helped right. everyone, and if we're supposed to follow him, then we should be able to do that too, you know, not maybe to the extent that he did, but certainly following his example and, and being a light to somebody, being there for somebody, and being with them, making sure they're not alone in their struggle... Mm-hmm. That is just so, so important. Well, Dr. Yuan, thank you so much for joining us. I really do appreciate your time. It means the world that you would uh, speak on my podcast with me. It's just been a fantastic conversation and I sincerely hope that uh, there are a lot of benefits that come out of this. It it just seems like such a, a, conversation that just needed to happen, you know, and, and it needs to continue happening. So I hope your work is blessed and uh, you continue to do everything that you've been doing because it's amazing.
1: Thank you so much. It's It's been a privilege to chat with you, Micah.
0: Well, thank you all for joining us today. I really hope that you found this message hopeful and beneficial. Please check out Dr. Yuan's books. They are amazing. And like I said earlier, they will speak to your life no matter what you're going through because they really just reach a human level and give us goals that all of us can aspire to. So thank you once again for listening in. Until next time, keep on reading your Bibles, keep on thinking critically about them, and keep on applying the truths that we learn here to your lives. Thank you.